strong and hypnotic, these women have been cut out of their original black and white photographs and placed into brightly colored new landscapes, on blue clouds and green palm leaves, on an endlessly starry night. They wear purple and red tropical flowers, but overall, it's the bright golden halo that surrounds their heads that draws me in. In the 18th century, the concept of the sublime was applied to the raw power of nature. Later, that same wonder and awe was used to describe religion. These photographs remind me of both. The archival originals come from a time when humanity pursued one of the greatest and deadliest engineering feats to ever be attempted, the construction of the Panama Canal. In the early 1900s, Afro-Caribbean migrants were summoned to work in the canal. They toiled in extreme heat and extreme danger, under the sublime knowledge that at any time, land and water could collapse around them. For their work, they were promised a lot and received little. A century later, one of their descendants, Panamanian artist Jana de Dier, examines this struggle. My name is Rosario Lebrija Razvetayev, and this is Sublime Art, a podcast that brings you artists from all mediums whose work calls on the sublime. Today we meet Jana de Dier, a Panamanian artist whose mixed media collages and digital compositions examine the experiences of Afro-Caribbean migrants in the segregated canal zone at the beginning of the 20th century. A quickly emerging artist, Jana's work has been shown in Italy, Washington, New York, London, and Panama. She's the first artist to do an artist residency at the Panama Canal Museum, completing an intervention in the museum's historical archives to reassess a history that can be buried no more. Welcome to another episode of Sublime Art. We're sitting in an iconic location in the Casco Viejo, the old town of Panama City. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us today. So how are you feeling today? We're in this iconic building in your native city. Thank you for having me. Why is this building and the history it talks about so important to you? The museum represents a lot of um, history, collective history, memory, collective stories. Also, it's very close, closely connected to my personal stories, my family's stories, um, my work. It's a great source of inspiration. Um, Why is it closely linked to your family story? Well, my great-grandparents on both sides, my mother's side and my father's side, they traveled from the Caribbean to Panama for the construction of the, of the canal. And um, they arrived in early 20th century, 1905, um, approximately. I don't know a lot about my great-grandparents on my father's side, but most of the information that I, that I handle, that I know, um, is from my mother's side. So um, my great-grandparents, father arrived from Barbados in 1905, approximately. So much of what is stored in the museum and that history and information that the archives and it has a lot to do with his experience and what he lived and experienced working here. Yeah, it, in a way, it's a way to for me to get closer to who he was and what he did represents And before we delve deeper into this very charged history, um, which your work also deals with, I want to go back a little bit and just ask you, what drew you to art? Why did you choose this medium to 
express yourself? Well, first I started, when I studied in the university, I was interested in marine biology. So I Oh, wow, very different. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very different. So I studied biology first in um, University of Panama, and I used to walk past the School of Arts. So we had a, the opportunity to see artists working, and I always had an interest in the arts since I was in school. I, I dabbled a bit in drawing and painting, oil painting. I took some courses, and it kind of triggered that um, interest all over again. And it just sparked this whole hole. And the medium itself, it started kind of by accident. I was drawing a lot, and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to experiment a little bit more. And drawing by itself was not giving what it was supposed to give. So <laughs> I uh, um, started cutting little pieces of, of different colors, trying, trying to... Um, add to portraits because I was interested in portraiture at the time. It's about 10 years ago. I was trying to add a little depth to the portraits. Yeah, one thing led to another a couple of years after, well, a lot of years after. I just felt that drawing was not necessarily giving me the, the range that I wanted to experiment with and the, the themes that I wanted to, to cover. So I started doing collage all by itself. And yeah, it's it's been great since because it's very dynamic. It allows me to experiment a lot more than graphite. What sorts of collages do you do? Do you do it with cloth? Do you do it with paper? Do you do it with embroidery? Well, I do a little, well, I call it mixed media because I use different kinds of paper and also cloth when I can, um, gold leaf, um, any remnants of pieces of materials or documents that I have or, yeah, anything I can find that I feel may add to the piece since I, the pieces have a lot of history in them. I like to incorporate um, film if I have. I kind of add anything that I feel can, can enhance the image. So, yeah, I call it mixed media. I know I don't use paints. Or, or any of that, but it's just a lot of material in, in one piece. Mm. But I like that you talk about not using the, well, using the negatives, not mm -hmm. using the developed photos, because I think your work in a way is about exploring these undeveloped photos. It's mm -hmm. about exploring these undeveloped stories. So what drew you to explore and examine the the history of Afro-Caribbean people in the 20th century. What was the pivot that kind of made you uh, focus your work on this? Well, I was invited to do a, a show at a gallery, a local gallery, that, well, the space itself, the physical space, is not um, there anymore, but Allegro Gallery, um, the owner, Miri de la Guardia, invited me to do a show that she wanted. She was looking for... Um, work that was from the female perspective on um, female stories. So kind of like the, the, the female gaze instead of what we're used to um, to encounter. You know, things are changing a little bit more. But So she wanted more work that engaged female stories from a female perspective. And she said, you know, you're doing collage, but it would be interesting from something she saw that I was working on. Um, it would be interesting that you 
explore um, something, a different topic, maybe um, expand a little bit more on what you're doing. And I mentioned that I had always had the interest to to talk about my family history in a way without being too specific, but the gallery owner, um, she said, you know, do all you can to get as much information, you know. So oral histories was added, images was added. I um, interviewed my grand aunts who, well, one passed away, but um, trying to get as much information as I could about my great-grandparents' experience. And there was a lot going on in the family that um, from what I was told she would make decisions. While my great-grandfather was working in the canal, she was obviously at home, but a lot of, you know, she she also had to decide for herself. And also, you know, Caribbean families are very um, matrifocal, so women are, in many cases, the head of the family. Well, yeah, because in the past... We picture the past and the way the past has been painted to us is that women had no agency whatsoever. Exactly. So, yeah, it was interesting to find a way to tell stories, especially when I didn't have the whole story. So I was starting to piece together not only family history, but also trying to figure out a way to connect that with what actually happened at the time. And collage just seemed like the best way to do it because all these stories are fragmented anyways. We have pieces of everything and we're trying to figure out exactly how it happened. And since I cannot really depict how it happened, that whole reimagination and reconstruction of the images and the stories is what actually happens in the collage. And that kind of is what connected and drew me to what I'm doing now. So it's all started about four or five years ago with that exhibit and that show. It just opened a whole world of Mm. possibilities. And what's one of these images that you created, one of the pieces? Can you describe it to us? Okay. um, Since I was thinking about my great-grandmother's experience in itself, I was thinking about what it meant as a woman to leave your your home and come to a new place and, and start in starting a family and starting, yeah, starting from scratch in this new world, right? Um, so one of the pieces was Historias Fragmentadas, so Fragmented Histories. And it's a woman, it's an archive image of a woman, um, and she's selling, I believe, water, or she's selling, serving water to a man. It's kind of like a street vendor. And she has one of these, like, um, it's one of those vintage jugs with the little like faucet thing attached to it. And she's um, pouring the water. Well, she's holding it on her head and pouring um, water for him. And he's holding the glass. Um, that image, that collage in itself has the archive image. It has a piece of um, a negative, an old negative, and a photo I found in a frame I bought, like uh, a secondhand store. I was trying to find like old frames, kind of like Baroque framing. And some of the frames I bought had pictures in them. So it was nice to see that it had, you know, uh, a whole note, you know, these annotations in the back. So instead of using the image itself, I used the annotations. So it has, you know, the, the history of that, of that image, like um, a dedication. It has uh, the negative 
and it has this archive image and it also has like a, a piece of of acetate of yeah and it's kind of translucent so it gives this whole um vibe of not knowing exactly what happened but it still transmits the idea of it's piecing together many experiences many stories and well the viewer gets the chance to kind of interpret. And, and were these in black and white? Because a lot of your work has been black and white because they're archival images, of course, but you have also used color. Yes, they are. I was thinking of a theme for that show in itself. So um, there were about 15 collages and most of the archive images were black and white, but I was adding um, turquoise and blues and purple because it kind of drew me in and seemed very connected to this idea of, of, of histories and, and water and, and migration and the tropics. And, you know, it's just colors that resonated and colors that I'm still using to this day, well, except for the purple. Why not purple? I've kind of cleaned out... In my head, I feel like I'm cleaning out my palette, so okay. um, my color palette. So I'm using more yellows and oranges, blues, and greens because of the vegetation. But yeah, purple just doesn't seem to transmit what I'm trying to. Yeah, no, it's funny because I've recently been attending a lot of African art fairs mm -hmm. in London, and purple seems to be a really predominant color in the Afri contemporary African art, which I've loved, like deep purples. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the um, kind of a little bit of um, color theory and it transmits also like royalty mm. and honor and it kind of situates the, if, especially if it's portraiture, it kind of gives you an idea of this person being important. I was just uh, recently interviewing a Colombian artist and mm -hmm. she talks a lot about gold and how gold is obviously a very important, uh, not only color for Colombia, but also in general, the the, the charged history yes. of gold. You use a lot of gold as well. I use a lot of gold as well. I'm thinking also about, um, because during the, the construction of the canal, there was... Um, the U.S. implemented the the same segregated system that they were they had in the U.S. So it's, it kind of it was a a version of the Jim Crow system that they had in the U.S. at the time. So, but in Panama they had it as gold roll and silver roll. And when I started using gold, it was just the fascination of of the material and what how it looked in in comparison with all the other materials because of the, the monochromatics, right? But um, also it started to feel like I was trying to incorporate them, the people, mm. the stories into the gold role in a way and give them that uh, wealth and, and access that they were denied because of who they were and what they represented interesting when pieced together with all these other um, bits and pieces of photographs that have, have been ripped. You know, gold is usually associated with richness and, and wealth and, and opulence, and then you have all these other things that don't mm. necessarily connect. Mm -hmm. And this is just another new meaning I've just learned about. But going back to the interviews that you did with mm -hmm. your great 
uh, grandmother, great grand aunt. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, I also come from a massive Mexican family, so I know what <laughs> it's like to have all of these different relatives living. Um, what did you do with the? Because we've talked about these stories now, yeah. um, but a lot of the work that you've been doing is with people who are not alive anymore or who have been lost in history um how did you find their stories and did you ever maybe make up their stories or did you how did you treat the stories where you couldn't find where there were gaps okay um many of the stories i don't i don't know i mean i don't have their stories documentation on people being photographed is very limited when it comes to the african diaspora so there's more documentation on the photographer than on the people being mm. photographed. All white men, I assume? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> of course. And um, so I had to figure out a, a way to to bring their stories, even though I didn't have specific information, I had to find a way to bring their stories to life. So I paired their experiences with my experiences and my family's experiences. So it's... Um, a recontextualization of their possible lives and experiences um, seen through the seen through my eyes and um, yeah kind of understand what they might have lived how they might have lived because that's actually you jumped right into my next question because um, your work also deals a lot with like the exotization and the mm-hmm. performance of the black body um, especially there's the series called reclaim and reconstruct identity as an exercise of resistance mm-hmm. and there's, there's this beautiful image that I really love of a woman with uh, beautiful long hair and uh, long skirt sorry and a saxophone mm-hmm. um, how are you retelling the stories or repositioning these women and men sometimes as well yeah um well in that series specifically i was inspired by photographers of um, mid early mid 20th century thinking about um portraiture and studio photography as as this kind of um exercise of of performing how we would like others to see us and especially when we see ourselves as ourselves versus, you know, that other gaze. Yeah, the series is um, looking for ways of creating space for women to be women, to be people, to be human. What are some of the ways you saw that they were exoticized or that they were, in a way, performing? Well, there's one photograph in, in specific that I know exactly who took the photo because many times... I go into archives and I just take photographs and recontextualize them. But in this case, it's a very um, well-known archive by the uh, photographer. I believe he was German, living in Brazil, uh, um, Alberto Hemschel. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm sure his first name wasn't in Spanish because he was German, but probably Albert Hemschel. But it's a huge archive of enslaved black people in Brazil. So there's a photo of a woman, uh, a Bayana, I believe, and she was photographed by him. And I thought it would be really important to take her specifically. She was the first of the series. It's, it's, uh, the piece has six small collages. And the first one I made was of her. And I wanted to make her the photographer. So she's sitting, you know, with her head wrap and all her... Oh, I know exactly which one, yeah. Yeah, and she's staring straight at at the observer. 
and then there's another one next to her on a tripod. But the, the idea was to give her the agency of her being, not only deciding how she's seen, but all she gets to see and depict her people as she wants to, to dignify them and you know, how she wants them to be seen with respect. Yeah, I think it's so powerful, these stories you're retelling and, you know, these things you're discovering, like the archive, um, because I was just, well, we were just having a tour of the museum, um, which has recently done a lot of renovations, and they've kind of revisited history as well. And I was really struck by the section um, that has been dedicated to women and the importance of these women in the war, like your great-grandmother, and, and in this in this part of you know, the museum. It's just a tiny corner in a way, but but actually it's so powerful, um, you know, that they saw that these men were demotivated and, you know, they were they were not having the best of times building the canal, I can imagine. Um, and actually uh, the, the feminine side came out, you know, the what people call the soft side, the not as important part, but actually it's what makes um, life so worth living in a way. So mm -hmm. I, I personally want to thank you, you know, as a woman, um, obviously not sharing the same Afro-Caribbean heritage, but I am Mexican, you know, and, and I do think it's it's important to raise these stories. Thank you. What, um, what has been your view of the revisit of this history with the museum um, as of late? Well, like what we were briefly talking about upstairs, um, It's been interesting to see the changes that the museum has gone through, but specifically that exhibit that um, what's being covered um, before, you know, it used to be from the viewpoint was from, it felt very American. You know, it, it felt like there was this story being told from the American side, you know, the empire, you know, talking about the engineers and this great job they did, and it was very focused on engineering what they did, what were, what they were able to accomplish. But they n briefly mentioned the workers and how they lived. And it was like this really tiny corner where they had like a, a computer and you could scroll and get some information. But now it feels like a story is being told and it's filling gaps that were not filled before that were not covering certain themes that were not tackled or even considered before. So now I feel that at least you feel that it's a story being told about people, how they lived, you know, the complexities of what was happening in the canal zone that was not, like you mentioned, it was not, they were not having a great time, but it was not one of the best places to be either. They were made very, they were made a lot of promises before they arrived. And when they got here, they realized that what was promised was not what they were getting. And I guess a lot of disappointment also. So seeing all that scope of experiences and feelings and, and possibilities being told in an exhibit, I feel is important. It might not... Um, Some may not may feel that it's not sufficient, you know, but I feel that it's at least not at least, but it does cover a lot that was not covered before. And what is being done is important and it's not being done anywhere else. Mm. You know? um, so, yeah, I, I feel very, very happy and 
honored that there are so many stories being told and many um, also characters that were important, like, you know, um, West Indian people, um, researchers, writers, educators, you know, people um, being recognized in this space. I think that's important too. And many can come and see, you know, part of their own heritage and feel that they're connected to something. Mm-hmm. Kind of anchors you to something that's bigger, that feels bigger than life sometimes when you see it. When you go to the canal and you see this huge, massive thing that you cannot really comprehend. But seeing that there were people behind all of it and that it were that they were your people, I, I guess it's important. And when you're here and you see it, and Afro kind of looks like a halo. It you know? does, it, yes. It has a, kind of this powerful um, presence. But I was thinking it, about it as hair until someone told me they look like halos. You know, they look like icons. They look like, um, you know, these representations of, of kind of deities. And I was like, that's interesting. Um Let's work with that. So it kind of went from that to being halos of different colors to um, then golden halos, but always thought not necessarily as like religious, um, kind of a reference to religious um, deities or religious imagery. But I was thinking about kind of also energy, the energy around this thing, this person, this embodiment, this experience. So... It started being something that was common in the work, and it started becoming something that um, was second second nature instead of something that I was trying to add because it needed to be there. And I've noticed that many artists also do it in a way or another. And I wonder if it's also if it's along those lines, or maybe it's more connected to you know uh, uh, kind of empowering that person with some sort of like supernatural or or sublime energy of some sort, but yeah. Well, I, I think there's so much, wow, I'm, I'm just taken aback. I'd never thought about it that way, of course. Um, it's it's so powerful, so sublime, the duality between the halo and the afro, because mm-hmm. afros have been, in a way, uh, repressed for so long, and mm-hmm. you know, people have wanted to get rid of them, and there's so much power in them, and there's so much beauty in them. Mm-hmm. And it's, wow, it's amazing that you're doing this duality. Yes, it started like that. It's kind of shifted from afros to now it's braids, but it's always kind of tied with the idea of hair, hair being repressed, um, trying to be controlled, um, it not being like um, some of the expressions used in Panama, like it's not professional, um, it's not um, presentable, it's not... Um, not here, not now, maybe if you were on vacation. You it's know. wild, it's, it's savage, wild. all these horrible. Yeah. It's distracting. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of um, all these ideas that even though it's more, the hair is more accepted now, people still kind of like will spit it out. Like, mm. It will come out in the worst ways and in unexpected moments. Everything that kind of... Related to the black body always carries some, some political heavy symbolism and, 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 and um, history. So it kind of comes up in the work in a way or another, even though I'm not kind of thinking about it in mm. the moment. But yeah. Focusing on it. Yeah. I'm excited to see how they do the Little Mermaid's afro. <laughs> yeah. 
or well, or locks. I think they're gonna. Yeah, do I think locks. they're doing locks. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, just conscious of time. Mm. So I've, I've heard you're doing a residency in the Panama Canal Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is uh, the importance of this for you as as a Panamanian, as an Afro Caribbean woman, as a woman? Well, being invited because I've been manifesting this for a while, kind of hinting at the staff, literally. <laughs> When I came on tours, I would ask about, like, do you ever see yourselves collaborating in some way with artists or maybe historians kind of, like, trying to open the gap in case they would say no to artists, see if there were were other ways to kind of, like, squeeze into... Um, uh, And have access to 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 the museum and um, being connected directly with the history, like being even closer to the history and and to that material, that source material, and having been invited is truly an honor. It's I I, I still kind of can't believe it, but it feels. Um, It feels very necessary. It feels like it is important. It feels important for my work, for myself as an artist, for my career, but also for the work I'm doing. I mean, it's history is what I use as a material. I don't retell necessarily document history or, or focus on the history, but history is source material for me. It being one of the most important museums that houses know the stories of West Indians and, and the construction of the canal it feels like it's it just makes sense it feels um, like it's the right time especially for um, the the road I've taken with with my work um, yeah I'm ecstatic I mean I'm really excited and I, I couldn't be happier I'm, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do yet But I'm really looking forward to it, and yeah. I think we all can't wait to see what you're going to do next. I absolutely adore your work. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast, and I hope we see each other again very, very soon. Thank you for having me. This has been scary, but very enlightening, because uh, I also learn about myself while doing these, and thank you so much for, for having me on, on your podcast. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sublime Art Podcast. Don't miss our next episode where we explore the sublime with another artist. <laughs>